This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life, because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kyle Lichty. Hey everyone, I'm here with Alex Peak. How's it going? Going good. How are you? I'm doing well. We're here in Holland, Michigan. We've known each other for like 2011 is when we first met. That's when I moved to GR. And we met because you're now a wife, but at the time you were dating Julia. Her brother, Paul, and I were roommates, and that's how we met. Okay. Was that... Yeah, I think that might have been the. Did I spend the night that one time? I think because I think you drove me to the airport once. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, Paul and I. I think took you. I think it was like Thanksgiving or something like that. Yeah, that would sound right. Now that you say that, because I would have thought like, oh yeah, we probably met when we moved here in fourteen. But now that you say that, yeah, Yeah. probably met you at either Paul's house or his parents' house. His parents. Yeah, yeah. So crazy. Yeah, it's been that long. Since then, we not only have gotten to know each other through our love of our favorite band, you two, we also are big football fans. Mm-hmm. You're a big Arsenal fan and that's right. I'm a big Liverpool fan and the respectable good team in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a little intrigued with how Arsenal is going to do this year. I feel yeah. like they actually could, they've got a good, they could do something core of young players that if they continue to develop, I think will be a much better like consistent team than they have been in the last couple seasons. I think another thing, and we're getting way off track here. Yeah. But I think having, is it Odengard as the captain? Yeah. yeah. Instead of Shaka. Yeah. A little bit like, more stability. I, mean, I can't remember how many red cards he had last year. Yeah. Or Sometimes he... as a captain, it's ridiculous how many times it happened. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be happening. Yeah. That's not the, the best. Uh... <laughs> Not the best lead by example, I guess, right. as far as leadership goes. Although there is among Arsenal fans, there is the hashtag if that were Granite Jaka. So you know, anytime there's a bad tackle in another game and a guy gets a yellow card, the you know oh, the, okay. the phrase if that was Granite Jaka comes out, and then you know, yeah, assuming that oh it would have been red if Jaka had done the same thing. But yeah, he he generally does lose his head at points. Right. Hopefully this season will be better. <laughs> Let's talk about where you grew up. You're okay. from Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, the Chicago. So not yeah. East um, Chicago or Yeah, like an actual <laughs> Chicago city address. I always joke you know, a lot of times when I meet somebody, oh, where are you from? Or, you know, where'd you go up? South side of Chicago. And you know, generally, unfortunately, people think take that as a negative. Right. But where I grew up was really almost a suburb. You know, it kind of had its own little downtown, you know, its own local hardware store and restaurants. But much of Chicago is kind of segregated in a sense still. And so it was the neighborhood that Irish Catholics settled in. So even though I'm not, I have maybe a little bit of Irish blood, which just happened to be the neighborhood close to where my mom worked. But yeah, I grew up in the Chicago city address, but the neighborhood was called Mount Greenwood. So in the very Southwest corner of Chicago, yeah. surrounded by suburbs on three sides, but still technically a Chicago street address. What was it like being in that particular part of Chicago? Growing up, it was a good being like an older neighborhood. Houses were still close together. You still kind of had your own little downtown. Kids rode bikes all over the place. We'd actually, right behind us was a huge cemetery. 
and hopefully my mom's not listening but sometimes we'd sneak into like the corner of it <laughs> and play like football because it was like the closest you know there was a few smaller parks but the closest open field where like 10 kids could go run around and play football was like crossing the railroad track sneaking through the fence and playing in the back you know there was no graves there yet because it was just this huge cemetery yeah but we'd kind of play there and then but yeah it was a cool it had its own little culture like being a predominantly irish neighborhood and like every year there was the south side irish parade so the population of the little neighborhood probably doubled or tripled and you know went from no street or being able to safe like easily park on the street to all of a sudden you can't even park in front of your own house for a day because right. everybody uh, shows up for the parade. It's awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about your first musical memory. What do you recall what that was? First musical memory, probably mostly the contrast between riding in the car with my mom versus my dad as a kid growing up. My mom was a like strictly oldies station so a lot of like Motown or Beach Boys, Beatles, even like Elvis and stuff like that. Just what, you know, whatever was on the, the oldies 104.3 in <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> and then my dad probably generally rare, almost only listened to classical music in the car. So yeah, I, I guess introduced to that at an early age. Yeah. Like, so I remember a lot of classical music, probably enjoyed as a kid riding in the car with my mom more. <laughs> so it wasn't something that you particularly enjoyed as a young age kid. I remember, I think riding with my mom cause we'd sing along all the time and stuff, yeah. even from a little kid and she had a bunch of cassettes. I think she had some Elton John cassettes and stuff <laughs> like that, that she would bring with for longer road trips where you'd get out of the range of the FM station sure, in Chicago. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, particularly remember enjoying listening to classical music like i like it now and as i got older i kind of look back and appreciate the exposure to that because it's probably not something a lot of people were exposed to especially at that young of an age but mm-hmm. yeah it could be a little bit boring or even just now you look back at it and how do you really enjoy classical music with car noise <laughs> especially with in older cars with bad speakers well, and too. loud street noise yeah so that's kind of Probably my earliest memories of music would be what my parents were listening to right. at the time. Do you know how your dad got into classical music? I know growing up, he grew up in a fairly strict home. Strict, probably more sense in like a religious sense in that I remember my grandma had a classical guitar and could play some of it, but you know, generally frowned upon <laughs> rock music as some sort of way that would lead you down a dark path in your life. So I remember he played like marching band in high school and he probably, you know, looking back, he probably played, you know, a lot of what would have been played in high school pep band, but yet it seemed like he was always going back to more classical type music. I know I think he played through college. He played trumpet. I don't think I ever heard him play. I think it was something he'd kind of dropped off before I was born Yeah, and never uh, kept in touch with it. But yeah, I think part of it was he really enjoyed, and he still to this day really enjoys classical music. I think maybe early on it probably was, well, that's what he listened to growing up. Right. And then just kind of kept with that. He always enjoyed, maybe not as much as my mom, but yeah, he would listen to like the oldies type stuff too. So I'm sure that was probably music that formed their relationship. <laughs> what other like oldies music would he listen to? I remember like Billy Joel, and that was maybe a little bit, 
more towards as I got older, but that was probably the first CD I remember him putting in a car that wasn't classical or wasn't FM classical or AM classical station in Chicago. But yeah. So I don't know what drew him to that over. I don't know if it was just, just happened to be a CD saw on the shelf and bought. I don't know why <laughs> that was kind of, but yeah, that kind of started a shift in his musical references. I think he, as he got older, he definitely relaxed on the strictly classical in the car policy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> During this time too, your parents, they're listening to show tunes, soundtracks, or like Broadway mm-hmm. type of musicals. Yeah, we did a lot of, probably at least once or twice a year, we'd go see a, one of the touring Broadway productions that came through Chicago. Yeah. I know. remember my dad really loved fan of the opera and my mom loved it too so that was always i guess the compromise for family road trips was like the which is really funny because it starts with like a heavy metal you know like i don't know if you've seen it but you know like the first song is like a heavy i maybe not metal but you know definitely a, a strong well, electric guitar rock chord. yeah yeah which is just funny that was uh something that you your parents were able to i guess compromise on yeah yeah, or like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Although I think my mom probably liked that one more. I'm trying to think what were some more of the, I think we went and saw, maybe it was called Riverboat or something. There was one, or Showboat, that's what it was called. Yeah, okay. I've never seen that. Miss Saigon, I think we saw, which I wonder how my dad felt about that one. But yeah, I just remember like going to shows like that. Even like the local ones, my brother and sister were eight, nine years older than me. So if, you know, we'd go see like the high school production of whatever musical the high school was doing too. And then they were in, my brother and sister both played band through high school. And I think my sister even continued a bit through college. I remember, you know, I was always, since I was so much younger than them, I was always, you know, had to tag along to all their high school concerts. And so, yeah, I guess it helped grow like a sense of understanding of classical music or just enjoying that as well. Even though as a kid, I probably didn't enjoy it as I'm as much as I do now. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that because you also learn or were taught how to play the piano Yeah. at, at a young age. Mm-hmm. Talk about what that experience was like. I think it was from a playing standpoint, I probably never practiced nearly as much as I should have to really get good <laughs> at it. So that probably had some factor in not continuing on. I think I played maybe like first through third grade or first through fourth grade. I played piano and then transitioned to grade school band. I remember being excited because like, oh, I can play something different. But then my parents owned a French horn, which my sister played, my dad's trumpet. And then they had this little cornet that my brother learned to play. So I was like, oh, here's the little cornet. Here's what you get to play in grade school band. (laughs) Like, all right. So I remember playing that, but overall, I don't remember it necessarily being an experience that I enjoyed, partly because, you know, I'd get home from school and I generally enjoyed going outside and playing games or even going to the neighbors and playing video games, then sitting and practicing. But yeah, the school, growing up in Chicago, my parents made the decision to send me to private school and uh, ended up going, not necessarily, I don't think neither of my parents fully aligned with the beliefs of the school, but it just happened to be the most affordable Christian school close to our house was a very strict, like electric guitars were invented by the devil kind of school. (laughs) So a lot of the music that we played was basically, you know, had some sort of religious meaning or, you know, like it was a, some sort of Christian band song. And, uh, 
not that there's anything wrong with it, but just as a kid, you're like, you listen to, you want to learn to play electric guitar or play drums. And here I am, you know, playing songs that just really didn't speak to me. You know, like you weren't connected with it. Yeah. Just like kind of felt like forced on you. Like, oh, what would be wrong with playing a classical, you know, granted your grade school band, so you're not playing like complicated music, but what would be wrong with learning the entertainer on the piano by Gershwin or whatever versus like some hymn or something, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. So it just was something that at the time, and now I wish I had stuck with some sort of musical instrument, but yeah, it just wasn't meant to be, I guess, yeah. just because I didn't necessarily enjoy what I was being asked to play. I kind of get the sense that you would have loved to have been in a band maybe, or at least have try to see if that would have been something. Yeah, I think that would have been fun. Granted, everybody probably thinks like, oh, yeah, yeah that'd be cool. <laughs> I had one time, you know, I'm a teacher. And so it was like dress to school, like whatever profession you want to grow up and be. Mm-hmm. And I was a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think nowadays it would just be cool to be able to like casually play like New Year's Day on piano sure. by you too, or yeah. Yeah. In elementary, there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. and you are hearing Disney, you're hearing some Christian music, and then there's also a lot of 90s alternative at this time. So how does the 90s alternative come into the picture at this time? It would have been when I wasn't practicing my piano or cornet lessons, I was often just spending time hanging out with the neighbor kid and that was predominantly what he had in his CD collection was early Green Day albums, like Everclear. I don't know if they're alternative, but I remember like one week by Bare Naked Ladies being on like repeat shuffle. <laughs> and that was also kind of the time when personal computers were coming out. So we were, you know, making mixed CDs of different. Yeah. I had I think my first CD ever was Semisonics Closing Time. <laughs> Or first CD that I purchased. Yeah, like I guess prior to that, it was probably like a Disney's greatest hits CD. Yeah, so it was just like go hang out and play Super Nintendo and listen to 90s Alternative with Third Eye Blind, Matchbox 20. I forget when, but the same Everclear CD. I forget the name of the album, but had like so much for the Afterglow on it. And you listen to it, you're like, however old I was, 10, 11, and you just... You know, it's fun to listen to. You're not really paying attention to the music. And then, you know, like listen to it as you get older. And it's like, wow, this is a pretty depressing (laughs) album. Like talking about his father leaving him and, uh, you know, relationship problems. (laughs) This is the occasional F-bomb that apparently my little uh, virgin ears didn't hear when I was 10 years old. What do you think was so, I mean, you mentioned the influence of your friend. Mm Mm-hmm but I feel like it still had an influence on you and it was still something you enjoyed. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Why do you think that appealed to you? I think part of it was just, that was what was out at the time. Like it was popular music, but it wasn't like the pop music of the time. So like you'd hear it on the radio, but it was also slightly different. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I, I probably wasn't paying all that much attention to like, lyrics of it it was just like oh this is fun and we listened to it while playing super tech mobile 3 on super nintendo i don't know or ken griffey jr baseball you know (laughs) yes yeah but i kind of stuck with it probably through junior high 
that kind of alternative brand of music kind of going to a school that wasn't in my neighborhood as well it was basically kind of like the neighborhood friend that was kind of my musical influence because I didn't you know it wasn't like my parents were driving me 20 minutes to go to somebody else's house from school that often so I think generally my musical taste was pretty much driven by yeah my friend neighbor friend Adam next door just was like it's what he was listening to and I liked it and we were buddies and my brother and sister were probably listening to some of it too with them being older, my brother was probably more like the Metallica era, or I don't know if he was really a Nirvana fan, but Pearl Jam and stuff like that. I think he was early to mid nineties high school. Yeah. So he was definitely yeah. kind of the era before the alternative got popular. Yeah. It would definitely be grunge mm-hmm. during this time too. And it's funny to say this, but like Jack jams, <laughs> space, space jam. Like, Sp- yeah. Space jam was a huge, that was probably the deepest I got into pop music, unfortunately, or you know, hip hop, I guess. This is all like R. Kelly, right? I think the R. Kelly, CNC Music yeah. Factory, yeah. Black Box. Yeah. I guess that was probably like thinking back as a kid, now that that kind of Bugs Bunny kind of spikes memories too. Cause my dad had recorded like Bugs Bunny onto VHS tapes. And, uh, so there's like some of those old Bugs Bunny cartoons. They had old classical stuff. Like I think Ride of the Valkyrie became like Kill the Rabbit or something like that. <laughs> and then, yeah, so then it's kind of funny that like you go from classical Bugs Bunny to uh, Space Jam. Being from Chicago, like everything Michael Jordan was huge yeah. at the time in the mid-90s. And, Is it really uh, so? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so <laughs> Space Jam was, I think that was probably the first movie i ever saw on opening day as well oh, wow. i think i remember my mom like picking me up on a friday and going to see space jam at the local theater <laughs> but yeah i remember like begging my mom to see space jam and having that album that cd and probably playing it to death <laughs> if it was a a record instead of a cd it probably would have worn out before it's yeah. <laughs> awesome yeah so eighth grade comes around and your sister gets a certain album for Christmas. Yes, yes. That kind of changes. So this is the change of my musical journey, like sets it on the path that I am now on today. I guess you could say that Christmas was a beautiful day. uh, (laughs) Yeah, so vaguely familiar with you two before then, as popular as they were, probably had heard them but never knew who they were. And then here's this new CD called All That You Can't Leave Behind. And uh, yeah, so that was my first introduction to U2. And I remember A Beautiful Day being hugely popular and then followed by Elevation. Right. And then I still have, remember at the time, and this kind of would be the next year, because it was still probably my favorite album at the time. But you know how like sometimes you think like, oh, I like this and maybe I'm the only one that listens to this. And I remember <laughs> like randomly talking to an upperclassman in high school like, oh, yeah, that song uh, stuck in a moment. Like, I think, you know, I think they released it as a single yeah. later on. Yeah. And so thinking like, oh, this guy knows the CD I'm listening to. But yeah, that would have been the start of my YouTube fandom. I guess you could say it was when my sister got me that. Right. What? I mean, so... You're listening to that album, and I'm assuming "Beautiful Day" first or something, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And what drew you to wanting to continue, like, to listen to it, but then 
be obsessed about it too. I think a lot of it was the positivity generally in that album. I think it's a well-paced album too. Yeah. Like it starts with like beautiful day hits you and then I forget the exact S- order. Stuck. Stuck. Yeah, and Ele- then elevation. elevation then walk, walk on. Yeah, so it's kind of like up you know hits you and then okay a little slower and then hits you again with elevation and elevations are just a fun song. Yeah. Probably one of those like psych me up for football practice songs back then. I think some of it would even a lot of it, I guess, and more and more so now these days would be some of like the spiritual references to it. U2's always been one of those bands where the songs, not necessarily a double meaning, because sometimes Bono's pretty straightforward. It's like, oh, this is about faith or this is right. like, or about his faith journey or something. But yeah, I think even Beautiful Day, just the point of view of taking advantage of every day and what it brings. And, you know, even some of the references in that song, it's a beautiful day, so like maybe let's not clear out the tuna fleet as well. You know, like we want to enjoy this earth for a long time. Yeah. So I think that spoke to me. I think especially at that point in time, like junior high and early high school is probably a very, at least for me, it was like a kind of an awkward period. So like stuck in a moment really kind of hit me because I changed schools. So like I went to this really strict grade school, and then after junior high, I went to uh, just kind of like a generic Christian school and so i knew like one person two people that had come from my grade school and they're girls so they weren't really like in my hangout circle and so i think freshman year high school was kind of an awkward period of like well i don't know anybody here yeah and so i definitely felt like stuck in a moment you know <laughs> like like i needed to tell myself that like all right you start to meet people this moment will pass yeah this moment will pass and then that like starts so you know like starts slowly changing was introduced to YouTube, but I f- wasn't fully hooked on YouTube yet at that point. Cause quickly, like as you start high school, you start, okay, what's popular at this point? Like Lincoln park. Yeah. had just come out. So they had released two albums like back to back and those are hugely popular. POD was popular at the time. So I feel like there was probably about a year where that was my favorite album, all that you can't leave behind. But then, quickly changed like well what what's everybody else listening to so like some 41 was popular at that point in time too and i honestly couldn't tell you like what drew me to a lot of that because i just haven't listened to it for so long so i'd be i'd almost have to listen to like a lincoln park cd to be like okay do i remember the emotions that this brought out other than like the general like i'm a high schooler and i've got anger and this (laughs) helps me listen to it it's a different yeah just energy yeah. From that time. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it yet. I just watched some um, Netflix docu-series on the Woodstock 99 okay. incident, which. Yeah, I saw the watch. preview. Yeah. And I don't want to give away any, anything, but they needed to make money. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, they needed to bring in top acts like Limp Biscuit and Corn. <laughs> That's a name I haven't heard for a while. Corn, so, I remember, yeah that's usually drawing in more of like that Lincoln park crowd yeah, on all top of these other problems that are there. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's like a bomb waiting to happen. Yeah. But it's interesting that at that specific time, that's what was popular. Yeah. From like middle and high schoolers. Yeah. It didn't really last all that long. I think it was kind of like, 
and even if you look back on it, kind of like the alternative and then that, I don't really know what genre you would throw Linkin Park into. Typically like, new metal. Is new metal. Yeah. Referred to. It was almost kind of like the last hurrah for rock music. I feel like after that, generally your average suburban American kid probably started slowly getting more into hip hop and rap. Yeah, I guess it probably had already started switching, but yeah, it's just weird yeah. how that got popular. Mm-hmm. But that is a really good point though, that you make about how it's kind of like the last hurrah mm-hmm. of, of rock. Yeah. I guess, yeah, it'd be like the last point where I remember rock songs being top on the chart. Top five. Yeah. 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 I guess that would be, you know, you kind of build relationships based on music too. So that's why I probably started shifting that more like, Oh, what's this kid I sit next to on the bus listening to? All right. I'll get that. And as you get older, you have like more, uh, more disposable income, I guess. So you can like, (laughs) dad, can you drive me to Best Buy? I want to buy a CD. You know, I remember like just going and buying Link Park, the, Oh, what's some 41. I think I had their first three albums again, probably not totally into all what they're saying, but more just the music's fun. So probably one thing about Link Park kind of reminds me of, uh, it's like going to a Christian high school that wasn't terribly conservative, but had a lot of teachers who were into that, like overproduced Christian era, Amy Grant or, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, I think. And so I remember one kind of prank I played in high school. And this probably, this kind of set me down the road of, cause like a buddy in this, or a, another boy in this class that we ended up becoming really good friends. And part of it goes back to this incident. I had my Lincoln Park City. We always had to do these morning journals. It was like a English creative writing or some sort of like freshman English class that was everybody was required to take and so we had to do journals to start the class every day and she'd always play the same not just the same cd like stephen curtis chapman like i still remember to this day i'm diving in or i'm going deep or something like that she played the same song like talk about crushing creativity when you play the same song every time i feel like the the (laughs) lyrics though are probably what she was intending to yeah i don't remember anything more than the, the the creativity yeah diving into whatever the writing yeah needed to do i do um, as cheesy as that sounds yeah but i do remember uh <laughs> i don't know how i didn't get in more trouble but she just kind of let it slide but i before class started she wasn't in the room and i was like i want to put my lincoln park cd <laughs> in her cd player up at the you know up on her corner of her desk and she won't know the difference and then it, and yeah so it's just hilarious like instead of like i'm diving in, it's like crawling <laughs> And luckily she was like, she was fairly new to teaching. So I think, you know, she wasn't this like a 70 year old teacher that would have taken issue with it. Right. So I think she realized that she probably, if she didn't think it was clever, she at least didn't send me like straight to the assistant principal's office for, you know, stealing her CD or something. So, (laughs) but yeah, so that got a really good laugh. And I guess that was probably the highlight of my Lincoln Park experience. Yeah. I don't even know where those CDs are now. I think they didn't make a move at some point. Yeah. Like all those old high school CDs. And it's funny, like referring to things as CDs now that we're decades into digital music. Right. I am curious, like, you know, with you saying that vinyl has had a huge resurgence mm-hmm. and I'm just always like, 
are CDs going to have a resurgence? Like people a physical... wanting, wanting to have a physical. The problem with possibly CDs coming back is you have vehicles now where you mm-hmm. don't have a CD player. Yeah. You have an aux or, you know, a Bluetooth, USB. Not. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can I tell know. you the CD that's in my car is like wheels on the bus for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I don't ever swap a CD out anymore. It's like kids get in the car. I want to listen to yeah. my CD. Yeah. It's like not daddy's music. <laughs> I kind of want us to come back to you too. Okay. How did that expand? Even though you were listening to other pop music like Linkin Park, POD, mm-hmm. how did your taste in U2 expand and, and what was taking place to make it expand? It was generally driven by a change in music preference in high school junior, senior year more so, basically the friends that I have to this day, we listen to a lot of like what's generally called classic rock, but you know, it's, it's really a bad term for music because it's like everything from the Beatles to Billy Joel or even Metallica is probably on a classic rock station nowadays. And you're like, so I, you two came out of that. I remember the second U2 album I bought was their best of 1980 to 90. So that, you know, included Huge yeah, hits. like yeah. their most well-known hits, even if, you know, like some of their 90s stuff, I think maybe better produced or better. But like, you know, if you play a U2 song that somebody's going to recognize, it's probably, you know, if that the majority of people would recognize it's on that best of 80 right. to 90 album. Yeah. Was there a certain song or, or songs that were really gravitating towards at that time? I just remember like listening to other classic rock stuff or even like I went through a Van Halen. I don't know if you call it a phase, but where Van Halen was my favorite band. And I remember every time I'd listened to you too. And I even remember having a conversation with a friend, Andrew, he may or may not remember, but I would drive him home from school sometimes and had you two on. I remember thinking like, you know, of all the bands, you two probably writes to songs that have the most meaning or like could make the most change in the world, whether it's, you know, like, song like Sunday Bloody Sunday and venting your frustration at people killing each other. Right. I still haven't found what I'm looking for is always probably, I won't even say probably, it's always been my favorite U2 song. It's always kind of resonated the the spiritual journey of that. Yeah. You know, and Bono often, I'm trying to think of exactly, in live he changes the lyrics a lot, but just like the taking the cross of your shame and, Broke the bonds, loose the chains, carried the cross of my shame. There we go. <laughs> yeah, so I've always liked the spiritual aspect of U2's music. Like, my faith's important to me. And I think U2 definitely, to me, speaks to that, like, authentic Christianity. Whereas I think in the U.S. we have a lot of people that go to church and claim Christianity, but pretend life's perfect or, you know, they're more influenced politically. Yeah. So I think... And Bono's talked about it a lot, you know, about his faith and, you know, like his journey too. Because, you know, you two, his mom, like for those that may or may not know, his mom passed away when he was really young and his parents were a split house. So his dad was, I think it was his dad was Catholic and his mom was Protestant. Yeah. And so his early life was really shaped by like his faith. And then I guess, like I know for a while they felt really influenced, I guess, by the, their faith and trying to be pigeonholed into like the type of music they should be right. singing. And I feel like I identified that with going to this really strict school that says like only this type of music is good and 
rock music's evil. And then here's like people authentically living out their lives who produce really good music that isn't like pigeonholed into either like a overproduced Stephen Kirsch Chapman, Amy Grant <laughs> CD. Having music in my life that always confronts how I'm feeling too. I think U2 does that a lot. Let's just jump way into the future, but even like some of their newer albums, like song like Landlady hits me with, you know, like it's about, you know, this rock star, how his wife grounds him back into reality. And right. Even when songs like when I hear stuff like that, like if I know I've been like selfish to my wife or something, it's kind of, you know, or like brings you, it hits you in a sense of that a song that's just about having fun doesn't hit you. Yeah. You know, it corrects your and even if it's not a, you know, it's not a permanent correction, like another song by a different band, I like, you know, learning how to love, like, I feel like a lot of you two songs are like a help you on the journey of life where something like a Van Halen hot for teacher doesn't, you know, like <laughs> that really, as much as the guitar and the drums are cool, it doesn't really like, I can't be driving in the car and listen to that song and examine my life through that song, right? Or examine relationships through that song. I think like there's a, at least a trying to shift the focus of your mindset. Yeah. That you often see from his lyrics. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, he can be kind of critical on himself. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's very unique. Yeah. And it's funny cause it seems like that's where you two gets a lot of their detractors or, you know, yeah, like, like he's a egomaniac. And yeah. Like, messiah complex mm -hmm. but yet like yeah if you actually look at his lyrics like he's pretty yeah he's pretty hard it comes from yeah it comes yeah not only who he is but when people talk about his messiah complex it's like well how many other people are actually out there addressing issues that he would sing about too, yeah um or that they write songs about whether it's founding the one campaign and red or founding it with other people but yeah i've generally morphed or slowly moved towards music that either challenges me or challenges the status quo of our culture and attempts to at least speak to people. I wish I could remember the song. It was by, uh, I was on one of the latest YouTube albums the other day, but like I was, you know, I have a four and a half year old daughter. And so like she wasn't behaving the, she was waking up multiple times in the middle of the night. You're tired, you're frustrated. And you know, you listen, might have been 13, There is a Light. It's not the best song on the album, but maybe my favorite line on it is, are you tough enough to be kind? Yeah. And so, like, daughter wakes up, like, the third or fourth time in a night, and you're just so frustrated. <laughs> and you you get, like, all right, it's stern dad time, right? And then you listen to that the next day, and you're like, I really wasn't tough enough to be kind, you know? And so, like, you feel like I should probably, like, there's discipline, but then, like, I could have been a little bit more patient at that point, you know? So like right. songs that like they hit you in a very personal point where like the next day you hear the song and you're like, man, I could have done better in that situation. And so I like music that leads you in that direction, right? Like music that addresses issues, whether it's personally or with our culture or with the world, but addresses it in a positive way. I think there is music can get to the point like, cause music, effects with your emotions more than probably any other entertainment, you know, maybe television now, I guess, depending on how it's produced. But I think music has a major power to either lead 
people individually or cultural movements in a good direction or is it a little bit less uplifting? Yeah. I think there are like, this is us maybe like as a TV show that is like yeah. very highly emotional, but yeah, I, yeah. I would say music definitely mm-hmm. has overall probably the strongest ability to mm-hmm. affect our emotions, mm-hmm. whether positive or negative. Yeah. So, so I just, I've generally gotten to the point of like, well, if I'm listening to music, I want it to have a positive influence yeah. on me, and especially with kids. Like, I don't want to be like, daddy, what's this song about? <laughs> Ask me again when you're 16. Yeah. <laughs> what's funny is like, I don't know if you have this happen, you know, with some of the classic rock music yeah. where a lot of that is about drugs. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. Mm-hmm. rock out to it and you, yeah. you enjoy it but when you look at the lyrics oh yeah this is mm-hmm. this is about heroin or yeah. <laughs> like yeah uh versus uh when you too writes a song about drugs it's a song like bad, bad right yeah. like where it was like watching yeah their friends yeah where you see how your friend's life is being utterly torn apart right. or uh what's the one that they generally wrote about the one maybe well, that one is so complex and it, there's mm-hmm. so many different interpretations. Yeah. That's what's to amazing too about you too is like, you know, there's me who picks up a lot of the religious imagery in the sure. music. And I guess, you know, if there's YouTube's unlike Christian genre, like pigeonholed Christian genre, like probably the most people going to YouTube concerts aren't being like, oh yeah, I, I'm a Christian. Christian. Yeah. So I think it just shows too, like whether you're religious or not, like, the cultural impact you can have on people is probably not locking yourself into this bubble that yeah. I would dare say that more people have heard about Jesus from Bono than from like the principal of my uber conservative Christian school that yeah. I went to growing up, you know, <laughs> like, and then even Joshua Trio, you know, the song probably everybody knows because it's played everywhere from sports stadiums to hotel lobbies but you know where the streets have no name like the idea of like just sitting back and thinking about that concept you know even in grand rapids like so much of our lives is controlled by oh what street address do you live at yeah and so again you can look at it from like a cultural standpoint of like well what can we do in the world to get to a point where like where the name that you grew up on or the name of the street where you live doesn't matter, but also from like a spiritual Christian standpoint of like, we're all created equal in the future, you know, like, so I guess I've heard multiple interpretations that he's either, you know, he's singing about heaven or, or, you know, singing about like a trip to Africa that they had taken where. I think it was in Ethiopia. Yeah. I mean, his wife went Mm -hmm. and there was a famine and Mm -hmm. so they were, heavily involved and helping with all sorts of different people, Mm -hmm. um, even with AIDS and Mm -hmm. people who are hungry. Yeah. And that song drew inspiration from that trip. Yeah. Let's talk about college. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. starting to continue kind of like we've talked a little bit about Van Halen and a lot of that classic rock sound and and that's Mm -hmm. continuing to college. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who are those artists and why do you think that was so important during that time well in college like the access to music just exploded because for the first time you're not just on slow cable or dial-up <laughs> internet but being like on an ethernet network where everybody's connected like you could see other people at the time apple stuff was getting more and more popular so everybody had itunes was like the 
you know, instead of media player, everybody was switching to iTunes and you could see on the school network, you could see other people's iTunes if they didn't password protect it. Right. And you could listen to them and then hate to say it, but everybody was doing it. <laughs> you know, you could download that music to your own computer. And so, you know, went from having maybe like my collection of 50 to hundred CDs or something, most of which were probably burned from somebody else, but most of them were probably like greatest hits this or yeah. it's all of a sudden like, Oh wow, I can download all this music and have ac- instant access. And that was a big change too. Like I still remember walking to class with my like 45 second skip CD player and walking past people like, well, what's that like little music device you have in your hand, you know, like, Oh yeah, that's that new Apple iPod thing yeah. and thinking like, Oh, I wish like I got to get some money so I can buy me one of those, you know? So right. going from like just the point of, all right, I've got like 10 CDs in my bag then I'll see which one I want to listen to walking home from class to now I've got 30 gigs of music in my hand. Right. So that was a big change. And, uh, some bands, I guess that I got more exposed to through college, but more still in that seventies, eighties music genre would have been like the police Genesis. And then I guess Phil Collins and, uh, Salisbury Hill was, uh, Oh, Peter Gabriel, Peter Gabriel. Yeah. So getting more exposed to, I guess more slowly going from like a seventies to like Van Halen. Like I definitely liked early Van Halen, like late seventies Van Halen better. And then I slowly started shifting more into that 80s era of music. So U2, Genesis, The Police, Bruce Springsteen. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting because a lot of those artists that you just mentioned, kind of like Bruce, Mm -hmm. they are in a lot of ways, I think, very similar to Bono Mm -hmm. lyrically and musically in addressing whether it's social justice issues or addressing particular problems in someone's general life. So, and they're all different in the sense of they're not, they're kind of hard to pigeonhole. Like, okay, what music, what is U2? Like, well, early U2, they obviously were inspired by punk, but it's not punk rock. Yeah. Obviously with the police, they're inspired by kind of like a reggae Caribbean sound, but they're unique in that sense. Whereas a lot of the, you know, like you could kind of throw like Eagle, you know, like getting back into classic rock, like Eagles, Almond Brothers, Doobie Brothers. They all kind of sound, there's differences, but they're all kind of like similar, I guess. Right. So I guess, I don't know if that's necessarily what drew me to that music, like subconsciously, like, oh, these guys all sound a little bit different than any, than everybody <laughs> else. But yeah, it's just, I guess, something that has more groups kind of split off from previous genres in the 80s that I just happened to gravitate to bands that were a little bit different than everybody else yeah why does a purposeful song matter so much to you i think that's just what again talking about like emotions and music i think it's just like such a vital role i think in anybody's life although you can address social issues with music i think doing it in a positive light just leads to to more change even if you look at you know like somebody like martin luther king like trying to take a positive although stern view to how you want to address issues in the world just seems to always work out at least in my life yeah i just see it as wanting music to like using music as a tool not only as entertainment i guess in a way i feel like music is less entertainment to me like granted it's super entertaining especially live in concert yeah 
I'm kind of, you know, even when I read books, I read, you know, like I read a lot of stuff like Frederick Douglass, C.S. Lewis, stuff that just like hearing what they wrote or reading what they wrote or hearing music say like, it challenges my own way of thinking. Yeah. Especially music as an art form. I think there's a lot of music out there that doesn't really challenge you to, to feel anything other than maybe like if it's loud and fast, it makes you feel rage. If it's, you know, like certain genres of hip hop, it, you know, makes you want to dance around. But at the end of the day, like after you're done dancing, what has it changed in your life? You know, right. it's just something that I've gravitated towards band. We haven't talked about yet. And it's one of their latest songs, but like, for example, a band Switchfoot, a song like looking for America these days or like blackout by you two. Right. Yeah. Another band I really like now called colony house is a song you and I basically the focus of it. It's like, I'm not afraid of fighting. I'm just a little bit over this conversation. I'm not trying to hide it. I'm just thinking slowly. Maybe you and I could learn to live together if we ever learn to ease the tension. You know, like I feel like our world today, you know, so and then it ends with like, maybe the world isn't crazy. Maybe it's you and I. And I feel like, especially today, yeah, like, you know, I hear a song like that and I'm like, the whole world is, and in some situations, yeah, it's right to be frustrated and upset about changes that are happening. But like, I can't have, like, I'm sure there's probably things you and I don't see eye to eye on, but like can have a normal conversation. Right. Whereas like our, I feel, especially nowadays, the reason why I like positivity in music is because so many things out there aren't positive. Turn on the news, news, you scroll through your Facebook stream. Everybody's trying to get everybody else at somebody's throat, you know, like, and so I think music that's positive and even if it's addressing a serious issue, like how crazy our politics is getting and why are we forgetting, don't forget about the past. Frederick Douglass, like this, to like to a slave, what is the 4th of July? Like there's nothing wrong with questioning, like, you know, I love the 4th of July, but, you know, like let's not forget yeah. the past. And so like I think people, I feel like something like Frederick Douglass, if you read that on 4th of July, people would, like one side would, you know, I guess the conservative side would be like, you're anti-American. It's like, no, right. that's like quintessential American writing. And so then you, you know, flash forward and then you, you know, have songs like Born in the USA or Switchfoot's Looking for America. And you're like, so either songs that like kind of like, that's what I'm, when I say like songs that kind of question our culture, right? like the war album, like doing the yeah. atomic bomb, you know, like, right. like it's a repetitive song, but like. You sit back and think about, you know, that era. (laughs) Totally. The Cold War and and Mm -hmm. take what was going on in Northern Ireland Mm -hmm. as well with the Troubles. Yeah. yeah. So I think just a uh, music that like can grip you and, you know, maybe when even in general, like life is generally fairly easy these days. Like you see all these news articles about like people getting pissed off because their food order didn't come quickly. Well, they're understaffed or like, Oh, people fighting with flight attendants, you know, like yeah. maybe if they were sitting there listening to music that gave them a, you know, a positive check on their life, like maybe I shouldn't just like erupt on somebody. <laughs> right. Maybe if I had listened to beautiful day when driving to the drive through, I wouldn't have like gotten so angry over something so trivial. My choice to listen to mostly more positive music doesn't, always 100% mean I'm a perfectly positive person, but it definitely helps me to see my flaws and at least try to attempt to 
change right slowly yeah well, that's awesome let's talk about post-college youtube's coming back into the fold mm-hmm. in in your life and primarily in the live element mm-hmm. and yeah you and i we've actually seen them together twice yep which was awesome both times mm-hmm. but you have like a kind of just a, a unique experience of when you first saw you two mm-hmm. and uh, go ahead and share that yeah so going back to so uh you know my sister uh planted the seed of youtube by giving me the all you can't leave behind cd but then you know the the roots dug in she bought me tickets to see u2's 360 tour after what have been no line on the horizon i guess yeah. but it was the second year of it so they had kind of shifted to just kind of almost like was, a greatest hits yeah. concert yeah especially with starting off with four songs right off octune baby to start yeah before that so i got these tickets i was graduating college so this would have been like fall semester of 2009 so my sister had bought these tickets probably sometime that winter so either like around Christmas time. Yeah, like late 09, early 2010. So the second year of the tour was supposed to start, I think that spring, or maybe it had already started that spring. But then all of a sudden, Bono gets injured, like a back issue causing, like pinching his spinal cord or causing nerve issues or something like that. He had to have basically, yeah, urgent surgery. And so tour is postponed. So I was supposed to go to the Chicago show. It was right around 4th of July weekend. I'd already been planning well ahead, had gotten the time off work. I was living in North Dakota of all places at the time. So I was going to fly back to Chicago and see you two. Well, you know, it was maybe late April or May. And when I'd gotten the tickets, I'd promised my friend Joel, hey, like I'm not dating anybody right now. Do you want to go? And so he was living in Chicago. He was like part of my best friend crew in high school. And we we're still best friends to this day. So anyways, I decided like I had the time off. I'm going to go to Chicago anyways. It was the holiday. And so my friend Joel, who actually had just gotten engaged right before that weekend too, his now wife uh, was roommates with a girl named Julia, who she was basically aiming at this weekend to try and like set us up. So me and Julia, her friends. (laughs) And so I get to Chicago and meet Julia and we hang out. I think we hung out like, Went out to dinner, like a kind of like a couple's hangout, but almost like a double date because like we both kind of knew they were trying to set us up. But yeah, so, you know, the fact that Bono gets injured randomly, like hundreds of thousands of YouTube fans or ticket holders are absolutely depressed. I'm guessing I was. Yeah. If you were going to that tour, you were probably like (laughs) pissed. So it got postponed to the next year. Long story short, next year I'm dating Julia. I've got you two tickets. And I'm like, sorry, Joel, I'm going to take Julia <laughs> instead. And then, uh, yeah, so we're married now, Julia and I. So yeah. I guess you could say um, Thanks, Bono's man. emergency surgery. Yeah, thank you, Bono, for getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, I may have met her eventually, like knowing that she was a good friend of like my best friend's wife. Right. You know, it would have been like maybe our paths would have crossed at a later date. But yeah, so it's kind of interesting how my love of you two is impacted my personal life. And now I've got her fully hooked on you two as yeah. well. She probably could have named like five songs when we met. I remember uh, I made her after we went to that concert, I took you two songs and I made her like two 
CDs of like the songs from the concert, like first song nice. through like 20th song. Nice. The set list. And then, yeah. then I threw in a couple bonus ones of like, well, here's all their other good hits too. So I, I made her like a four CD U2 set. That, nice. or, you know, they just happened to always end up in her CD player when I was visiting. Yeah. Might have been me <laughs> sliding them. And, you know, like, Let's pull this country music out and put this U2 in. <laughs> so yeah, I've got her to be a big fan. Yeah. So every U2 concert we've gone, so I've gone to like. I was, I was going to ask, how many have you been to? 360 and then the other one we saw in chicago the in, in innocence yeah. in chicago then did you uh, go to amsterdam yeah we saw julie and i went to just happened to be in amsterdam <laughs> may have planned it and then bought tickets at the last minute to see them then chicago again chicago again joshua tree. joshua tree and then we saw we did like a baby moon to buffalo niagara falls and saw them in buffalo and then uh, for Joshua Tree or Joshua Tree, yeah, the second, yeah, with, okay, yep, yeah, the second round of Joshua Tree with Beck as the opener, yeah, and then uh, saw him again in DC for on the uh, experience, experience yeah. yeah. So I guess that's what seven times I think, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So they come back. That's what's good. <laughs> I gotta give. I think I let my uh, YouTube.com membership lapse to get their oh, early yeah. tickets. So I gotta. Yeah. You always they announce concert. Okay, next day sign up for YouTube to be able to get the yep. early chance at tickets. <laughs> I'm curious what they're gonna do next. And you know, we've talked about possible Las Vegas dates that they're doing, which makes me feel like they sold out. Yeah, but, um, I'm hoping it's not I hope like it's... a year like Celine Dion style <laughs> or Elvis. Elvis, yeah, yeah. Every time. I travel for work and every time I end up in Vegas, I'm always kind of laughing at the, uh, the next eighties, seventies band that's still like got two original memory, you know, like journey or something. I think I remember last time I was out there seeing signs for like journey for a month, you know, as much as I enjoy listening to journey, they've got maybe like a guitarist and a keyboard player, but there's, you know, they're doing their Vegas residency. You right. know? Yeah. So that scares me a little bit. Like I have, I've seen them as they've been building that venue and everything I've heard, it's supposed to just be the best sound, the best visuals, which, you know, I guess you two since Pop Mart, you know, visuals have been a huge I'd aspect say, of their tours. I'd say Zoo TV even. Yeah, 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 Zoo TV, yeah, for sure. And so I, I could see in a sense of like, I think it's whoever the promoter is or whoever it's a owns the facility whether it's one of the casinos out there or not you could see like whoever's in charge of you know booking events at that place to be like oh could we get you too that'd be a great you know because they're supposedly opening it you know they're gonna right. be the first band to ever play there so like i'm secretly hoping that it's gonna be like yeah we're gonna do like 10 shows a few nights yeah like at most like 10 yeah and if it kicks off a tour great right but not a year long yeah i hope awful. i don't know I guess from following the band, I don't know, maybe they'd be willing to sit in some high rise for a year being chauffeured back and forth from some penthouse to there. But I, I don't know. I don't fully see that fitting their personalities as no. human beings unless they're, I guess, like pretty much all of them have homes in, in California. So I guess I could be like, oh, yeah, they play there for a year every Saturday and Sunday and they all fly to their homes in Malibu or something, yeah. you know, or hang out. Because I'm pretty sure... Uh, I know Edge the edges there. Yeah, his wife runs a like art studio, I think, in okay. Venice or something, Venice Beach. I remember like thinking, Yeah, I know he lives in Malibu. Yeah. I remember seeing a headline, you know, there's how 
crazy of a YouTube fan. It's like, well, his wife owns a an art studio. Like maybe if they're, you know, like maybe I should follow that art studio and see like, oh, there's an opening of a new art installation. Maybe the edge will be there one time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Can I just reach out and touch his hand? Yeah, like I uh, heard that he has like a lake house in TC. Yeah. And so you're like, Ooh, what if I? Oh, really? Go, yeah, go up, oh. go up to TC, like Traverse Edge City. or Bono or Edge. Who? Oh, apparently he loves Michigan. Yeah. Well, like if they love him, they should come back, right? Yeah, like yeah. was Land 360 tours probably the last time? Oh no, they did well, play. They, they did Detroit. They did play Detroit. Yeah. Now that you say that, I remember. I'm hoping you know, new album, new tour, mm-hmm. or do a Octung Baby. Yeah, that's COVID really hit them bad yeah. with like timing of you know having the Joshua Tree tour slash celebration of that album it kind of would have been nice that this year would have been the year right last year last would have been okay yeah. but still um, it, there's been i've heard rumors that they still want to do yeah. something yeah so that would be a cool combination yeah maybe that would be you know something where they do a couple shows out there and then start a tour based on octane baby and then maybe release a few songs here and there and then take a year off and then come back with a new album no or octane baby and then new album out. <laughs> yeah. Just like, a, you know, but what's interesting is they did the Innocence tour, then Joshua, and then Experience. And by the time Experience came around, it A, looked exhausted. Yeah. And they did three heavy tours mm-hmm. in three years. Yeah. Three, four years. And they looked yeah. beat up. I do wonder if the second round of three, six, or of Joshua Tree was ever really planned. Necessary. Yeah, I think it was probably know. one of those like ticket sales are through the roof. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, because it's as much of a, you know, with a band as big as you two, as much as they probably don't want it to be, it's as much of a business as it is trying to meet demand of the fans in a way. Yeah. If we do a second, you know, we've had this much interest in the first tour. Why don't we just do some more, you know? Mm-hmm. Be, I don't like normally these... say this about you two, but I feel we were a little bit chipped on the North American tour of experience too, because yeah. they just kind of transferred a lot of the visuals from the Innocence tour. Well, I mean, it was... And then Europe got a whole bunch of new visuals. I was a little frustrated with the experience set list mm-hmm. because they did basically identical visuals. And mm-hmm. like even Sunday Bloody Sunday, it was, yeah, like it was the, same, the same, only the drums. And just doing, and then Cedarwood Road, which is, yeah, you know, it's so I didn't quite get why it needed to be the exact mm-hmm. in certain parts. Yeah, it probably does go to show like if if you're getting worn out, your creativity is kind of like limited from two years of touring with Joshua sure. Tree, and then well, let's just do it this. Way. Yeah, and that was always my although the Sunday Bloody Sunday and Innocence and Experience tours, although the visual of it and the narrow drama and the smashing it to the car bomb and all that visually it was awesome. It was super intense. But yeah, yeah, I think to me, maybe, you know, there's certain bands where like you play, you know, the first couple notes or something, you instantly recognize the song. And I feel like to me, like the normal version of Sunday Bloody Sunday is, you know, the drums of that's maybe their most recognizable drum beat to start the song and so when it is only just the snare track i mean i i just take the the chicago show that i went to Mm -hmm. i mean it was from iris to cedarwood road sunday Mm -hmm. bloody sunday and then until the end of the world it's like this is exactly what you did on the innocence part so it just was like why 
<laughs> yeah. And I mean, and then you had even some of the same elements like with City of Blinding uh, Lights. Yeah, with the lighting too. that they did, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. That, that was kind of like frustrating to see it again the same way. I love the way they did Until the End of the World. Yeah, that was yeah, cool, that is great. Yeah. But this is a different tour, different album. Yeah, yeah just, and a little bit different themes in the album. Similar, yeah. but different. Yeah. Whereas Innocence is a lot more reflective on, especially Bono, but like the it's, band as they grew yeah. up. Whereas Experience seems more kind of like the present and addressing like cultural issues through the music. Right. Yeah, if I could swap roles for a second, what's your most underrated song on Joshua Tree? Ooh. Just came to, I have one in yeah. mind. That's that's a tough question because I love running to stand still mm-hmm. in God's country. That would um, be mine. In God's like, country. Yeah, I think yeah. especially how they uh did it on the they, tour. On the Joshua Tree tour, yeah. That line, you know, they released uh, you know, like here's a couple of live songs for our fan club members. Right. Yeah, I love that in God's country yeah. uh live or version. Acoustic. Yeah. No, oh, that guitar is mm-hmm. sick. Yeah. For the bridge. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we, you know, we've even talked about Red Hill Mining Time as yeah. being like that could have been the first single yeah. for that album. And Vocally, especially Young Bono, that's yeah, really good. You could tell being a little bit older as voice has changed some. It still sounded great, yeah. but didn't quite stretch his voice as much as it does on the album recording. Yeah. Exit's great too. Mm-hmm. So it's an unanswerable question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough. But probably, I think we're in agreement, probably in God's country. What are you currently listening to? Probably the most right now would be a band named Colony House, which is a bit of, I guess, I don't know if we'd call it irony to this too, because <laughs> I've already mentioned another singer who I didn't particularly like. So the band Colony House, I think they've had, for the most part, I wouldn't call them an unknown. I think maybe they had a song that was on like a Samsung commercial. Okay. But I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I, we just happened to see them. Switchfoot came to town and it was like a couple years ago. I was like, oh, let's go on a date night, see Switchfoot. And they opened for them. And I'm like, I don't know who this band is. I want to like, I just Googled them or you put them on YouTube and started listening to some of their music. I was like, I actually want to go to this concert to see them now. You know, the drummer and the singer are brothers. The, you know, again, their music is, for the most part, positive. Some of it's highly emotional due to their lives. And so, like, you think about them and you think about what they're singing about and it helps you reflect on your own life. And again, like, some they're younger than I am and it's like, oh, you feel like some kid is teaching you lessons, you know, when you listen to the music. But anyways, their dad is Stephen Curtis Chapman, the the guy I've already said I don't really care for. And I'm going deep in his son's bands. But yeah, they're different than how he plays. And I don't, you know, I'm sure they learned a lot from him. It's not like he was a bad musician. It just his music wasn't my cup of tea. Right. Or still isn't. Very generic. Yeah. But yeah, they're you know, so you would think kids growing up and they're from Nashville or out Franklin, I think, outside of Nashville. Right. You would think they'd be like country kids, but they're not. And they're really not kids anymore. They're probably like 30-something years old. But their first album, their second album had just come out, I think, when they toured with Switchfoot. But their first album is like super deep on Bono, one of their, on the Songs of Innocence, you know, wrote a song about his mother. And so, you know, Bono's mom tragically died at 
her father's funeral, right. like brain aneurysm, right? Yep. So it's like Bono, here's teenage Bono. And, you know, a lot of his music was shaped by, you know, the death of his mother. Well, Colony, I don't know if you even know this. Like, so they, one of the brothers, I think it's the drummer. I know one of them's named Caleb. Tragically, they had a daughter that was adopted. So there's oh yeah, Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife right. had adopted a daughter. And the younger of the sons accidentally like was backing out of the driveway or she was like ran around the corner and he hit her with the car and like tragedy passed away. And so like knew nothing about this band and uh, just going on YouTube and some of their music, like they've got a couple songs, like one of their, their second album is called only the lonely, almost kind of like an homage to Roy Orbison. Yeah. And it's got like a couple like beat. One of the songs called, you know, it is kind of like a a beachy or kind of like that, almost like a wipeout. I think okay. actually when I saw them play, like they actually played Wipeout and then morphed into the song, nice. you know it. But yeah, so that first song, like, is couldn't imagine them being able to sing some of those songs, like, as written about, like, the thoughts of, like, you know, one of the songs moving forward, yeah, won't give up. Like, you can just listen to that song and you think about, like, you know, probably, like, late high school at the time or, like, early college, the emotions that must run through your head. But anyways, yeah, just, I think, in a way, I think they're, kind of influenced by youtube i'd love if youtube did another stadium tour if they would be the opener but i don't know if they're <laughs> well known enough <laughs> what is it about music that makes us listen to it why do we as humans enjoy it so much the <laughs> deepest question so far <laughs> it's definitely ingrained like i guess if you're a religious person you'd say it's ingrained by god if you're less religious you'd probably say it's adapted through the years that our brains like it certainly helps you remember things yeah you know like i can't really quote books very well but like songs you get in your head and they stay there there's so many ways you could and like for me like i've kind of touched on using it as a way to like examine my life for others it's just you know it's like oh it's just pure fun like, I think just about everybody uses music from a, like, it always enhances whatever you do, yeah. I think. You can run on a treadmill staring at a wall, but running on a treadmill staring at a wall with music on is a thousand times better, <laughs> right? Like, you can go to a, like, backyard barbecue and enjoy time with friends, but, like, a good background playlist just makes it better. Makes it better. Can't imagine going to, like, a professional sports game, you know, like... Yeah, and that's we can we can go full circle back to uh, <laughs> Premier League football and yeah. how like Arsenal's got this new song called North London Forever, and you know it's like somebody grew up in North London, wrote a song about the neighborhood, and now like it echo you know kind of like you'll never walk alone. You know, it's basically it's a little constructed, but you know basically it's kind of Arsenal's attempt at a you'll never walk alone. <laughs> So we're ripping off Liverpool, but it's it might work. But yeah, like, can you imagine, like, how much better? I don't know if you've been to a Liverpool game. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that. So like, it takes an event from this is amazing to every amazing. hair on your yeah. neck standing up. It's without question, the best sporting event I've ever been to, and I've been mm-hmm. to a lot. Yeah, and it's all starts with a song. Yeah, that. The, when the players walk out and it's from the sixties, you know, mm-hmm. like 
or maybe it was earlier because it was a technically a, a show tune, I think. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember exactly when it was released, yeah. but yeah, it just takes it to a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the Spurs fans would appreciate your song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't need it. though. Sp- yeah. Spurs are also in North London. That's yeah, why I said they're... that. And they claim to be the original North London team, which is technically they've been there longer, but my short answer to it, like it just makes music makes everything better. Yeah. Whether it's a car ride, a yes. gym membership, a <laughs> sporting event, or a barbecue. Right. <laughs> that can be enhanced with the proper music uh, selection. For sure. Well, Alex, thanks for for doing this. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for uh, asking me to give it a shot. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichty. Each person interviewed has created a playlist of the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlist, you can head straight to our website, at soundtrack.fireside.fm. Click on Soundtrack Playlist, and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at Soundtrack Podcast, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack. Soundtrack.